Hi, this is Dale, NFT artist, and you're listening to my dad, Dr. Jeremy, on NFTeach. Packrate Media presents NFTeach. I'm Dr. Jeremy, your host. You know, at the heart of the conversation around cryptocurrency is a desire for decentralization. And what we mean by that is to have a lesser reliance on centralized banks and government oversight in terms of our finances. Yet, with many of these NFT projects, and Top Shot being one of them, uh, there is something called KYC and AML, Know Your Customer and Anti-Money Laundering, that, that actually you know, forces people to identify themselves. And it's at the heart, uh, it fights against the grain of what the crypto movement is about. But in some instances, it's a necessary evil, especially when you're dealing with, you know, non-crypto money, fiat money. So I'm really, really excited to bring this episode to you where I'm joined by Rob, who is a, a lawyer who understands sort of everything related to finance, crypto, and uh, he shares some some good learning on what KYC and what AML are, and as well as sort of like what are the perceived benefits and disadvantages of, of KYC. So, without further ado, let's jump into it with Atlas Shrugged eighty Rob, and he's going to talk to us about KYC and AML. Here we go. Collecting just got physical. NFTs have changed the game, giving you the ability to show off your moments online. But now you can showcase your collection in real life. My Moment allows you to turn any digital moment into a physical card, display top shot moments, bored apes, hash musks, or even low effort punks on your desk or in your man cave or woman cave. Just visit mymoment.com. And that is my M O M I N T dot com and use promo code NFTeach for 25% off your first order. That's M Y M O M I N T dot com and promo code NFTeach for 25% off. I am joined on the mymoment.com guest line by Rob, who is a NFT collector as well as a in real life attorney. And we're going to get into some NFT related stuff today around KYC and AML. And if you're not sure what that is, this is the perfect podcast for you. And if you are sure what that is, this is still the perfect podcast for you because we're going to get into some of the idiosyncrasies of pending legislation and the sort of tension between being decentralized and wanting the benefits of centralization at the same time. So without further ado, Rob, welcome. How are you today? I'm great, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. No, I've been excited about recording this episode for a long time. We went through countless reschedules as uh, my real life was just getting in the way. But here we are together at last, about to get into KYC and AML. Uh, why don't you just maybe introduce yourself first, and then we'll jump into the to the weeds together here. Sure, yeah. Uh, um, again, my name's Rob. I been in the legal slash compliance world for, for over a decade, um, started in insurance compliance and then moved into more banking and, and, and fintech compliance. Um, about halfway through um, my career starting in compliance, I went back to law school. So I did the law school thing at night uh, while working full time um, and 
that that was a hike, uh, but oh, uh, I, I'm better I'm better for it now because in the compliance space, you know, having that legal background, understanding regulations and how to parse through uh, laws and 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 statutes, it, it's helpful kind of in, in in my real world aspect. Uh, but I'm not actually. I, I don't practice law. I, I work in a compliance uh, capacity for for a fintech company, um, and I'm I'm an active member of the bar. So I, I would never have to uh, take the take the bar again. Thankfully, if I ever decided to to you know become a, a private attorney or litigator or anything like that. Well, that's great. So, what got you into NFTs? What what le- how, what led you down this rabbit hole? It's a good question. You know, po- politically, I like to consider myself a, a bit of a libertarian. So for the past, I don't know, 15, 20 years, I've had friends uh, who have been trying to get me in- into the crypto space. You know, Rob, you need to check out Bitcoin. You need to, you know, you, you need to, 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 to get into this stuff. And for me, it was always like I felt like I had missed the boat or, you know, I didn't want to take the time to, to, to learn about it. So I could, you know, I, if I was going to jump in, I wanted to, to have some baseline level of knowledge and I was never there. Ironically, it was... Uh, it was digital basketball cards, right? It was NBA Top Shot that got me into the, <laughs> got the me into gateway the drug space. for almost all of us. <laughs> it, it is. It's crazy. And I, you know, I had I had been telling people that and then to, to hear that so many people have that same story of Top Shot kind of opening people's eyes to, to you know, both the, the promise of NFTs and, and the promise of just cryptocurrency in general. I was right there. You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't the Bales article for me. It was actually Terrence Ross. I'm a Magic fan. Terrence Ross had tweeted about NBA Top Shot one day. I looked into it and this was right at the right at the top. So I'm, I'm one of those people that bought a lot at the top <laughs> because I got in, you know, that late February, early, early March time frame. But it, it opened the door to other NFTs and then, you know, crypto in general, you know, looking at uh, various coins and uh, Ethereum and all that stuff. So, so, so yeah. we're gonna have to get into the Vuk trade and how you felt about that. You got some a good a good bevy of picks for that trade, uh, but we'll we'll get into that later. I want to bury the lead. We want to make sure we get Perfect. through um, the fun stuff first, which is yes KYC and AML. So, for people listening who've maybe heard the terms and and aren't really certain what they are, why don't you start by demystifying what we're talking about when we say these letters KYC and AML? Yeah, perfect. You'll you'll often hear with with AML, you'll often hear it referred to as BSA AML. Um, BSA stands for the Bank Secrecy Act, and AML, for those who don't know, stands for anti money laundering. And these regulations date back to to the seventies um, when the U.S. government was trying to get a handle on protecting the integrity of the financial system by stamping out money launderers and other bad actors using the banks and the information that banks had at their disposal. And it became a little stronger in 2001 with the Patriot Act and kind of where we are today is this massive, what's referred to as BSA AML regime of, of regulations that banks and, and fintech companies have to be aware of while, while they're doing their business. KYC is an acronym that stands for Know Your Customer, and that's really shorthand for segments of the anti-money laundering regulations that require banks and require fintech companies to get to know who who they're doing business with. So um, names, addresses, date of birth, you know, social security number at time, you're dealing with the type of private information that a lot of people don't want to give. And that's the tension between the government trying to stamp out bad actors, but at the same time, respecting people's privacy and people's unwillingness uh, for good cause to not want to give up that type of information. Yeah. Um, I had an episode with uh, uh, Anorak, who was an early top shot adopter who ended up cashing out 1.2 million. 
And in, in that episode, he talks about his constant fear that A, he wasn't going to be able to pull out the money. And B, when the KYC was introduced, it scared him to death because as a crypto purist, his whole sort of desire in entering the crypto space was to keep his assets sort of held in an anonymous way um, and, and to be kind of free of, of oversight and regulation and, and to have a sense of security. So you did describe that this idea of this tension between, uh, you know, keeping out bad actors and also protecting people. And I feel like that's just like a microcosm of society in general, right? The government intervention is sort of this, this, uh, this really difficult balance of, of quote unquote, protecting people's best interests and also regulation and, and governance. So like, what are the advantages of KYC for the consumer? I know we'll get into the disadvantages, but what are some of the benefits of having a KYC approach to a crypto product or to an NFT product in this instance? Oh, it's a good question. And, and, and you see, I, I'll answer it too, but part of the, part of the issue as well is, and part of the reason that these types of laws and regs even came into being is because banks and fintech companies and businesses in general are good at stamping out bad actors that affect the bottom line, right? A bank is going to do anything to stop actions that are going to cause them financial harm or reputational harm or anything else. So we're talking about fraud, chargeback fraud, people doing things that that are going to cost the bank or the bank's customers money. In general, money launderers are great customers, right? They, they're trying to do their best to stay under the radar, to not get caught. So they're just funneling money through the system and they're they're depositing their money in bank accounts to try to hide its, its unnatural origins or whatever, but they're great banking customers. So there was no real incentive for the banks to stop these people, right? The, the banks could be doing business with Carlos the Jackal or any other you know money launderer terrorist and not want to stop that because they, they were good customers. So the, the government felt, and you know, again, you can get into politically however you feel about that, felt that in order to stamp these bad actors out, they needed to establish these regulations, right? To, to force the banks to stop bad actors that may not be affecting their bottom line, but that may be affecting the financial system in general, because you know the, the, that type of activity um, you know, isn't good for anybody. And I think that's where the benefit to, to, to the consumer, the benefit to society comes in, is this idea of protecting the integrity of the financial system by stamping out bad actors or people that are funneling money into organized crime or funneling money out of organized crime or funding terrorists um, you know, all over the world. So that's, that's kind of the... I guess the pie in the sky benefit to the consumers is the government trying to step in and make banks stop people from doing things that the bank really in general wouldn't have incentive to stop. Well, and if we want to zoom in from a top shot perspective, there was lots of multi-accounting happening at the very beginning. And I think KYC probably put at least a dent in making it a little more difficult for people to have three, four, five, six accounts and stack packs and, and and do a lot. I mean, it was probably a little too late, to be honest, with some of the, the Series 1 stuff. But um, I think that that's a sort of added benefit. But as we transition into the, the negatives or the perceived negatives from a consumer's perspective on KYC, what would you describe some of the highlights to be if we're talking about some of the defects of this, this approach? Yeah, I think a lot of it is what, you know, as you said, Anorak in, in the episode that he was on, and I heard him talking about this, is is the part of the core identity of crypto and cryptocurrencies is this sense of being anonymous or the ability to, to be private and, and, and keep things uh, 
um, below the radar, whereas, you know, KYC and, and AML type regs are, are, are directly at odds with that. It's a tension we're talking about. And, you know, I think the other thing, Jeremy, is people may be asking, well, you know, I keep talking about banks, right? And, and fintechs. Dapper is not a bank. So it's like, why is Dapper having to do what they're doing? Why is Topshot asking me this information when I don't consider Dapper to be a bank? And, and, and that's where it gets into this idea of something else that Anorak was talking about, mainstream adoption. And Dapper's trapped between these two worlds, right? Because they're in this crypto space where they've got this cutting edge NFT technology. But at the same time, Roham and, and others have, have stressed this need and, and this desire to, to go more mainstream by accepting credit cards, by allowing people who aren't in the crypto space or don't understand how Bitcoin works and proof of stake and proof of work and all that can, can get in. And the easiest way to do that is through credit cards. And that's where the, that's where the, the hook comes in, right? It's because Dapper is both allowing fiat transactions via credit card and then allowing the withdrawal of fiat back to, you know, this kind of, I think the crypto folks refer to it as on-ramping and off-ramping, right? Through through Dapper that can be done. And that's where the the, the KYC comes in, which is why you don't have these, these strict KYC AML obligations at OpenSea and other just places. Gonna, just going to bring yep. that up as the counterpoint to that. So let me ask you this question, Rob. Sure. Where is the root of KYC and AML requirements? Is it where the company is based? Is it where the consumer is based? How, like how, how, like if I'm in Thailand, for example, and I'm a, a, a Thai citizen, why am I subject to KYC compliance issues for Dapper if it's a Canadian company or an American company? Like, how does that work geographically? Yeah, it's a great question. And a lot of it is because a lot of these regulations and, and laws are shared amongst the com- countries, right, where they'll say, you know, this affects the financial system as a whole. So we'll respect laws or regs from other companies. But the, the other issue is when you're accepting credit cards, you're also subject to the Visa and MasterCard rules. And Visa and MasterCard have AML regulations as well. And they're saying, Wherever you do business, if you're going to be a part of our network, if you're going to be sending money across the Visa and the MasterCard lines, then you have to abide by our rules. And that's where Dapper Dapper currently does business. And this is something I, I, I wrote a few articles earlier this year. And when CNN and some of these other companies were writing stories on the withdrawal problems, they, they were talking about not on, they were writing these articles that really didn't quite grasp how KYC and AML work. And they, they were pointing fingers at Dapper where Dapper's working with a payment processor, a company called Circle Financial. Um, I, I have no idea, I'm not privy to how their contracts are set up for each with one another, but more than likely what's happening is Circle Financial has, they're, they're regulated as, as a money transmitter. They are registered with FinCEN, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, as a money transmitter. They also have banking partners that they work with and they they network with, uh, with, with MasterCard and Visa. So, they're the ones that are regulated and they're telling Dapper what they need to do from, from a contractual perspective, you know, Dapper is working with Circle. So the really what's happening is that the regs kind of roll downhill, right? The banks have these regs and they say, all right, Circle Financial, you have to abide by this. And Circle Financial is saying, all right, Dapper, you have to abide by this. So where this comes into play is kind of everybody passing it through, which is why fiat is that hook to where these KYC and AML regulations come in. OpenSea, without having the off-ramp, right? There's no off-ramp on OpenSea. There's no ability to take the money you've just earned from your sale of a board ape or whatever on OpenSea and directly send it back to fiat. You have to send the ETH to 
to Coinbase or some other centralized um, uh, currency exchange. And where KYC is, is established, correct? Bingo. Bingo. The off ramps and the on ramps are where you're going to get the KYC. Um, and that's that's the tension, right? People like Anorak, they 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 swim better. And, and I don't want to single out him, but a lot of folks, I mean, you, you see a lot of people that are criticizing Topshot and Dapper for being far too centralized, for feeling like a like a bank, like a custodian, because they're asking for all this information. Uh, whereas if you swim in other places in the crypto sea, you, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff because you're not dealing with the on ramps and the off ramps. So at, at the risk of oversimplifying, which I tend to do, my wife, if she were joining us right now as the third party of this call, she said, yeah, you make everything sound easier than it is. As crypto becomes more ubiquitous and, and free-flowing and more native, could a dapper get away from it and then say, you know what, we're not accepting fiat because crypto is mainstream enough to where everyone has a crypto wallet? I think uh, Avery Akinini said that 17% of Americans have cryptocurrency right now. So you know you get up to 80% in the future, maybe 10, 15 years from now, right? Like, could dapper then say, you know what, sorry, fiat, go fly a kite. We don't need you anymore. And then would it change the KYC and AML requirements for Dapper as an entity? 100%. I, I think that could happen. And I think, you know, it, it, in people like us who are bullish on crypto and NFTs in general, see that being the future, right? It, eventually, wallets are going to be ubiquitous. People are going to understand what all this means. But I think the the only counterpoint there is at the same time, the government's going to start to catch up and I, they're going to try their best, as we're seeing right now with this with this crypto bill that's out there to to regulate, to, to get more into that space where they might say, OK, now KYC and AML is required on these transactions and how that looks. I mean, I I'm not I'm not familiar enough with the tech side. I should say I don't have a deep enough knowledge of, you know, like automated market makers like Uniswap and stuff like that to to even understand how that would even look, how a regulator would even be able to do that type of stuff when you're dealing with anonymous um, uh, private keys and, and public keys and everything else. But they're going to try. And but, but as again, with with globalization ripe and people participating from every corner of the world in this, this is the part I, I really struggle to wrap my head around, like how how does the US dictate, and I get that there's like a sort of handshake among other countries that this is just good for the order, so we're all going to do it, but but how does the US dictate what these regulations look like? Do they dictate for the majority of the world? Or is it like, I don't understand why they have the agency to make that call, I guess. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. And I think part of it comes with kind of being the being the powerhouse in the world, you know, it, 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 at least to a certain degree, you know, having the ability to to control things using economic sanctions, using the power of of of, of the U.S. dollar, right, to, to just be able to control all that. And, you know, you can say that in the future, perhaps that begins to weaken because of cryptocurrency and everything else, and they won't be able to to to, to have that, to be able to dictate the way they do now. But as it exists now, there's a certain amount of power with being that level of big dog that the U.S. can kind of swing around. And, and that's and that's what they do. But that's part of the reason I'm, I'm, I am so bullish on crypto is I think this can kind of change this work, change how things are done and, and help bring us to, to a more decentralized place. But it's a great question. And it's a, it's a it's it's a mystery as to how that type of stuff will look in 10, 15, 20 years. So, you know, uh, the naive, I guess not the naive part of me, but part of me just wonders then, 
let's say that crypto becomes too regulated and you know crypto purists go you know like nope sorry this is no longer serving the purpose that it did before i mean is this sort of a web 2 web 3 thing where then a new layer of crypto could be created that again is sort of free from that regular and then the government will catch up behind it again is that <laughs> going to be sort of the the, the merry-go-round that we go on it's interesting and it, and it absolutely could be i was just going to say as you were kind of doling out that hypothetical that then we just kind of get into this endless cycle right this um um in other areas of the law they refer to it as like pneumatic pumps where you kind of push the water down here but that water is going to come up somewhere else because you're always going to find a way around um whatever regulation or or, or hurdles are put in place and i mean i think that's absolutely a possibility that's crazy to think about yeah so yeah. so you know we've gotten into i feel like kyc pretty well and you mentioned this pending um this pending bill can you just sort of break that down and give us some of the highlights of, of what is written into this and, and how it could potentially affect consumers uh, in the crypto space as we go forward? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's basically part of this trillion dollar infrastructure deal that, uh, that, that Joe Biden has on the table. And what's happened is as part of that bill to raise about $28 billion, they have a section on crypto, crypto tax reporting, right? And it's Basically, through this provision, they are going to be able to collect a certain amount of money from activity in the crypto space. The problem is the way that the the way the bill was originally written, the definition of a broker, the definition of somebody in the crypto space that would have to provide taxation information, it was very broad. So we're talking about software devs, um, node validators, people that you you would never think would would be taxed being brought under this broad um, definition of what a broker is. And so you've got these kind of two competing amendments now that are trying to narrow that idea of, of what a broker is. Um, the, the first bill is it's by Mark Warner, Senator Mark Warner. He honestly, the bill doesn't make it that much better from, from what I'm reading. It doesn't, it doesn't really make the definition of what a broker is any better than the original bill does. And it also has this really odd provision that exempts proof of work and only affects proof of stake. So it basically That's exempts strange. It's very strange. And one of the big criticisms is why are we letting the government pick winners and losers? Why are we letting them determine what technology is the one that's going to win out. And I think from an environmental perspective, you would say, why the heck would they be exempting the proof of work and not the proof of stake? Because the exactly. proof of work is, is what's getting all the um, you know the 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 environmental concerns, and you know you can say put on your tinfoil hat or whatever whatever else. But a lot of the the Bitcoin folks are saying the reason they're exempting it from here is because they're going to come after it even harder later with some type of environmental regulation, so they're leaving it out here. Other people like the Ethereum folks are saying this isn't fair. They want Bitcoin to win. They're they're clearly you know exempting Bitcoin because they're choosing that flavor of technology. Who knows what's in what's the reasoning behind it or what's in Mark Warner's head or anybody else's head. But the competing bill, which is the Wyden, I don't want to get this wrong, Wyden to me Lummis bill, um, really, really restricts the definition to to basically just brokers, to people, to centralized exchanges, folks who are who are um uh transmitting digital currency from from one place to the next and they would basically be required to send 1099s to their customers which would encourage their customers to then file you know their crypto gains and losses on their taxes and so that's kind of for the crypto people the the widen 
to me, Lummis bill is the is the one that everybody wants to pass because that seems that to be sounds like the the three most made up names in the history of the <laughs> English language. Like, why give me those names again? Wyden, Toomey, and Lummis. Yes, Toomey is Pat met... Toomey. Pat Toomey. Um, I don't know Lummis's first name, but I just know that her last name rhymes with hummus. That's why I... <laughs> I, I've never met a single human being on the planet that has either of those three last names. It is very strange. And tinfoil theories hat theories abound with those names yeah, um, yeah but i absolutely. guess that's who we're rooting for so okay uh yep okay so okay we you know now you have these sort of um centralization things happening uh and and right now it's it's a little restricted um is there any sort of advantage for consumers if a bill like this passes and we talked about capital gains and, and losses like is there something that benefits the consumer should either of these pieces of legislation pass uh, that would make a difference in sort of their bottom line in terms of finances? Boy, I mean, it's it's tough to think of it. Uh, I mean, it, it. I guess the benefit would be one of the constant criticisms, you know, that people have of of crypto is is this idea of the the folks who are making these gains that aren't paying their fair share. So I guess you could say that. Uh, it, Folks can now say, no, we're, we're being taxed. I'm getting my 1099 from Coinbase every year and I'm reporting it on my taxes. So there's this kind of pie in the sky, we're paying our fair share type of benefit. But I mean, financially, it's 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 money that's being taken by, by the government out of your gains or, you know, offset by the losses that you have, as it may be. But I, I think the other thing, I mean, if you're thinking down the road, kind of light touch regulations like this helps because then it starts to feel people can't refer to it as the wild, wild west. We, we have some regulations here. We have some way for the government to get in and take their fair share, what they feel is their fair share of, of these crypto gains um, by this legislation happening. But I, I don't think there's too much of a financial benefit out there. For and, and again, right, I, I want to speak more on a global perspective. Yeah, you know, obviously 1099 is a US tax document right. that's coming. So if if I am in a country of residence as an American citizen, an expat, or if I am um, you know, a citizen of another country, is it gonna be local sort of decisions around taxation that are guiding like like again, if I'm gonna use that Thai citizen example, is is that how it would look then if I'm someone in another part of the world? Absolutely. And that's one of the criticisms of the, the Warner Amendment is that folks who are into Ethereum or are are working in this uh, proof of stake environment um, would move. They would go to elsewhere. They would they would take it away. And, the you know, the uh, Ted Cruz even was coming out against the Warner bill and using that kind of uh, very popular Ted Cruz talking point that this is going to move jobs, this is going to move innovation overseas, because you're taking, you're penalizing people who are engaged in in one set of technology and, 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 you know, providing favoritism towards another technology, those people are just going to leave and go elsewhere. And, you know, down the road, Jeremy, as we're talking about, eventually, Thai or, you know, other countries may copy the U.S. legislation just because of our, you know, status in the world. But for the time being, that would send people elsewhere where the where the tax laws are a little bit more favorable to the technology. So, that they're so using. if I'm a crypto maxi, I go, you know what, I'm I'm picking up my stuff. It's going to be the Cayman Islands type of stuff kind of all over again. And I, I uh, Raul, I can't remember his last name. Uh, he's a big crypto guy. I think Raul Paul, he he does his podcast from the Caymans, I'm assuming because of tax 
benefits. There's reasons for him to be there. So then, yeah, you you do send people, uh, Maxis, who have the funds anyways, will just be like, well, screw this. I'll just go somewhere else. This has yep, been really and- interesting. Um, I, I think that I'm curious as to your take on OpenSea. If we go to like more of the of the less regulated, less centralized uh, art marketplaces in particular, with the crazy stuff happening with apes where people are flipping these things for, I don't know, 80 ETH, you know, 100 ETH, the crypto punks are going for millions. Like, wh- will that sort of, uh, you know, crypto bill or these regulations affect these less centralized places? Or is it going to really only be for now the places that are taking fiat as sort of where this this war is being fought right now. Well, I think I think they want they want to get in on that, right? I think these massive sales of the apes and the in the royalties that OpenSea and the creators are making that's what the that's what the the Senate and and the legislators are seeing. They they want to get their hands in that and they want to make that definition as broad as possible so they can say, yeah, OpenSea falls under this. OpenSea, you better start sending 1099s out to your folks. And if OpenSea's got to send 1099 out to their folks, then they've got to get information. They got to get address information, name information, and you start to become more centralized. You start to to bring in the same type of stuff that 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 folks don't like in this space. So that's It's absolutely right. And and even, you know, I I noticed that I think it's for Polygon assets on OpenSea now. You can actually use fiat to to buy things. But again, you can only use it to buy. This is like wax. This is like there's some other places that accept credit cards, right? Anytime (laughs) the word wax is mentioned, I always do a boo. So I want to make sure I'm consistent. So we've booed wax. Go ahead and continue, Rob. Sorry. No, I think I think that's fair. I was involved with the tops pack drop and I, I can I can boo them as well on that. Uh, but that's the key, right? They're accepting credit cards for payment of these collectibles with no promise of you being able to use their platform to get that money back in fiat. If you want to take your money from that you've made on selling your tops cards or your tops packs, you have to take the wax, convert it to something else, send it to your, your centralized exchange and pull it out that way through the off ramp. They're allowing the money to come in, but not go out. That's the difference, right? Dapper's allowing the money to go out and that, that brings in the AML so, and the KYC. So the pessimist in me, Rob, says... All of this is going to be centralized anyway. So why are we even fighting this battle, right? Government wins and we should just accept the fact that this will be taxed like anything else will. Is that a fair sort of pessimistic attitude to take on this? Or do you think that's jumping the gun? No, I think that's fair. That's fair. And I, I don't know the solution, right? I think the solution is to to find the center. And the good move. thing is, you know. The we, solution we, is to move. That's true, too. And, you know, the good thing is, at least partially good, looking at these amendments and looking at the people talking over the bills, we don't have to get political because in the names that I gave you, the three made up names, I think that's two Democrats and a Republican. In the Warner bill, it was a Republican and a Democrat. So you've got bipartisan friction here. This isn't a a right or a left issue. We we can find the folks that really understand the technology and understand the benefits of anonymization in certain senses and work with them, elect those people and, and kind of pay attention. And maybe it brings more people in the crypto space into this political world uh, without kind of the hotbed right versus left Republican versus Democrat stuff. That That's that's the only way, because I think you're right. I, I have the same, whether it's pessimistic or, or, or cynical attitude, I have the same concerns that eventually government's just going to win. <laughs> yep. Well, 
Rob, I want to thank you for joining us. You are Atlas Shrugged 80 on Twitter, a great follow. And I have really, really enjoyed making this episode. Uh, I think there's a lot of good information for, for consumers and things for people to start being mindful of. I definitely would love to have you back as more things are happening from a legal perspective. And uh, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you, Jeremy.